you have your copy of God's Word, if you would, turn to Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30, we'll read verses 24 through 28. There are four things which are little on the earth, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people, not strong, yet they prepare their food in the summer. The rock badgers are feeble folk, yet they make their homes in the crags. The locusts have no king, yet they all advance in ranks. The spider skillfully grasps with its hands, and it is in king's palaces. I like to tell people that I'm just an old farm boy from Kansas. There's nothing very special about me. Uh, I appreciate the upbringing that I had. Living in the country was a good life for me. I really enjoyed it. Playing in the dirt and driving tractors and growing crops and doing what I could, uh, trying not to mess things up. And it was a good life. And then I moved to Missouri and started working with cattle. Uh, the farmer I worked for, he, he didn't have calves. He, he, had just, uh, he didn't have any mama cows. Uh, he's had calves and he would feed them out and we would ship them out to western Kansas and and you know what they do with cows when they get that size. Uh, they taste pretty good. So that's how I grew up. And two weeks ago, I started a gospel meeting in El Dorado Springs, Missouri. I had never been uh, to El Dorado Springs. You probably have never been there either. That's a little town of about 4,000 people. It's a really nice community. Uh, in fact, just after I left, the day after the meeting ended, uh, their high school girls team went to state and won. They won state. And that town was all abuzz the whole time I was there because that was about to happen. And these little towns, it's that way in Texas too, right? These little towns and their high school teams, uh, people get all wrapped up in that and, and it was just took over. But the preacher there uh, also did some farming, does farming. He has several hundred head of cattle. And I did something that week that I had never done in my life. Being a farm boy, uh, he, took me out one, he took me out on Wednesday morning, and he said, Adam, uh, you can help me feed and put out some hay. And I was just chomping at the bit, so excited to do that. I had taken clothes in preparation. I was excited to get out there and do that and romping around in the mud. It had rained, uh, if you believe it or not. I had windshield wipers that worked on the car still, so that was good to know. And uh, so we were romping around in the mud, and he said, I've got this little baby calf, and it's not eating. And so I need to get its mama up uh, into a chute. We had to chase it through a couple of pastures, and we got it up into this holding chute. And uh, some of you will understand that a mama who hasn't been milked for a couple of days was ready. She was ready to get rid of some milk. And so he told me, he said, Adam, you milk her while I go back and get the calf. And so I milked a cow. I had never done that in my life. All right, I'd never done that. You have done that. Many of you have done that. It was new for me. And it was amazing to watch what happened. As he brought that little calf, they, they just hadn't figured it out. It was a new mom. Of course, it's a new baby. They're trying to figure it out. And it was amazing because as soon as, as she had some relief, and then that baby came up there, and we just put its nose right up there, and it, he just immediately, he, the, the light bulb clicked on, he knew immediately what he was supposed to do, he started drinking, she started standing still, and they were all calm, and it was an amazing thing to watch, and he said to me, Adam, 
I've, I watch this. I'm, I'm dropping calves like crazy right now. I've, he's got bunches of them everywhere. And he said, it amazes me every single time. Something that we just take for granted. This, this cow just drops a calf out on the ground. And this mama just immediately knows uh, what she is supposed to do to go and lick it on that thing. And that calf generally just knows exactly what he's supposed to do or she's supposed to do. They're up within minutes. They're standing on their feet and they figure out where the food source is and they're eating and everybody lives and it's amazing. And he said, how is it possible that people can't see something like that and see the hand of God? How is it possible that you can watch that happen and not appreciate that God did that? That that is God's work. That's His handiwork. And we just see it. And we just take it for granted. I've been asking Rose now for several weeks, when is baby Adam getting here? And I know there have been some others who are trying to confuse her about his name. And I have been very quick to correct. His name is Adam, and that's a wonderful name. I don't want to take that for granted, you know? I don't want to take it for granted that these, these babies arrive. That, that these mamas carry them for nine months and, and they arrive. And, and God, that is God's handiwork. And we're watching it happen. And it's a natural thing that He put in place. But I never want to take it for granted. I never want to fail to, to, to see what God can do and what He is doing. Well, in those verses that Thomas read for us a moment ago from Proverbs chapter 30, I think that's exactly what the writer of Proverbs is, is begging us to do. Do not overlook the little things. Do not overlook the tiniest of creatures and appreciate the wisdom that is, that is present in them. He says uh, there in verse number 24, there are four things that are very little on the earth, but they are exceedingly wise. They are very little, but they are exceedingly wise. Tonight, I want to do something very simple. I just want to look at these four creatures, and I want to give you one word to associate with each. And I want you to appreciate that these are creatures that God has made. These are creatures that God says, I want you to look at, and creatures that God says, I want you to appreciate me through them. I want you to see what it means to be exceedingly wise, to take information and put it in place and practice in your life. I want to give you four words tonight to associate with each of these. It's really amazing what, what the writer does here in looking at these four because he's going to point out something about them that makes them small and seemingly insignificant and then talk about how wise they are. All right, so that's what I want to do tonight. I want to look at these four little creatures and I want to give you one word to consider so that we too might be exceedingly wise because that's what we're striving to do in the eyes of God. Number one is in verse number 25. It's the ant. <laughs> Do you get much smaller than the ant? And the answer is no. And he says, let me tell you how small the ant is. It is not strong. All right? The ant is not strong. It's like a no-brainer, right? Uh, in reality, it's pretty impressive what a single ant can lift. But in, re- in relation to us, that's a people that is very weak. They're not very strong at all, but they prepare their food in the summer. And so the word is preparation. Seems the, the writer of Solomon and God through him is saying, I want you to look at that little ant. And the next time you see that little ant, I want you to immediately consider preparation. 
I want you to think about the preparation that 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 ant is doing. So for a second, I want to say this. You and I, as those young people we were just talking about up here in these front pews, we don't know when the Lord is coming back, do we? We, we, we don't know. He could come back this evening. We, you just don't know. It's very possible that that's actually what could take place. He could come back tonight. Or he could come back uh, whenever he wants to come, and that's when he's going to come. We just don't know when he is going to come. And you and I are not promised tomorrow. I know that, and you know that. I know that I'm not promised tomorrow. I know that, that the, the writer of James, uh, James says in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 16, what is your life? It's a vapor. It's here for a little time. And then it vanishes away. Oh, why are you saying tomorrow I'm going to do this or that? Or tomorrow I'm going to go and buy and sell. He says, you don't know if tomorrow's coming. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. And so out of this side of my mouth, I want you to know that I understand and you understand that we are not promised tomorrow. You and I understand that none of us are getting out of this life alive. I know that and you know that. And yet, there's this other sense in which we must be prepared should tomorrow come. Be be prepared should tomorrow come. There is a great sense in which we need to understand that if tomorrow comes... I need to be physically prepared for it. I need to be working ahead. I need to be planning ahead in my mind and prepared should tomorrow come. That's what the ant does. And that's what he's talking about, isn't it? Why, why are you sitting by and, and just uh, thinking, or what if tomorrow doesn't come? Uh, what if the ant were to sit there and say, you know what, it's really hot out there today. I think I'll just take it off. I think I'll not worry about that. And that felt so good today, I think I'll just go ahead and do it tomorrow. And that felt so good, I think I'll just go ahead and do it tomorrow. And before you know it, it's winter time. And what happens if you've not prepared? You're done. That's it. Your life has ended. And so admire the ant for her preparation, for what she is doing, the foresight that she has in looking ahead and planning in a very physical way for the time when there will be no food. I want to make sure that I am, in a physical sense, always preparing for the future. I need to be doing that. You know, it's interesting to me, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, about chapter 5, Paul there in that letter has mentioned to the, the brethren there in Thessalonica that Jesus is going to come back. And he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep. I, I want to tell you that those who have died are still very much uh, living. They're just living in a different sense and in a different way, in a different place. But there's coming a day when Jesus is going to return and all of us who are alive shall be caught up together with them in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord. He says you need to comfort each other with those words. Those are comforting words. Uh, The problem seems to be, though, the brethren in Thessalonica thought that, well, that means Jesus is coming very soon. Well, Paul must be saying that he's coming very soon. And so they get the first letter, 1 Thessalonians. They get that report that Jesus is going to come back. They reason in their minds that he must be going to do that soon. And so they stop working. So Paul writes a few months later, 2 Thessalonians. And he's got a few things he needs to clear up, a few things he needs them to know. And if you go over to there to 2 Thessalonians, near the end of that letter, over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 
he says, hey, let's just make sure we're clear on this. You need to be doing some things. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, picking up in verse number 10. Paul says, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. So he's telling these brethren who have stopped working, get back to work. If a man won't work, neither should he eat. I'm thinking about that ant. And that ant, again, if, if the ant isn't willing to do its work, if it's not willing to be prepared, then it's not going to make it. And I want to learn a lesson from that ant in a physical way. I want to make sure that I am prepared. I am working and doing what God commands me to do. But now I want you to turn in your Old Testaments to the little used book of Amos. I want you to turn over to the book of Amos, and I want to switch gears for a moment from the physical to the spiritual. And I want you to think, again, as you would understand us, would, we would do tonight, uh, there is application that must be made in a very spiritual way where the writer of Proverbs is not just talking in a physical sense, but he is writing about being exceedingly wise in the, in the eyes of God in a spiritual sense. The ant prepares, I need to prepare, and so do you. And so I turn to the book of Amos, and I look at chapter 4. And God is writing here, He's speaking uh, right here, and notice what He says to His people. He says, listen, I gave you, verse number 6, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I also withheld rain from you when there were still three months to the harvest. I made it rain on one city. I withheld rain from another city. One part was rained upon and where it did not rain, that part withered. So two or three cities wandered to another city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I blasted you with blight and mildew when your gardens increased, your vineyards, your fig trees, and your olive trees. The locusts devoured them. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I sent among you a plague after the manner of Egypt. Your young men I killed with a sword along with your captive horses. I made the stench of your camps come up into your nostrils. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I overthrew, verse 11, some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like a firebrand plucked from the burning. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. God says, I have tried all of these different ways to grab your attention to tell you to be prepared to come back to me. I've tried to get you back. I want you to understand that you're nothing without me, that you need me and to be in a relationship with me. I did all of these things really out of love for you. I'm trying to get you to turn away from your sin and from your error. I'm trying to get you to come back to me. Yet after all of this, you have not returned to me. The ant teaches us a lesson to be prepared. It's a lesson of preparation. 
And so you know what God says in the end in verse number 12? Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. I've tried to shake you awake. I've tried everything to try to get you to understand, to wake up and understand that you need me and to come back to me, that I love you and I want to be in this relationship with you. I've tried to get your attention. Now understand, prepare to meet me. What I want to do is learn from them to not fail to make those same mistakes and heed the words of God. Adam, prepare to meet me. Be prepared when you meet me. We're all going to stand before him. None of us is going to avoid that appointment. We're all going to be there. The, the summertime is coming. It is now when we are to work because wintertime is coming and we need to be prepared to meet God. That's Matthew chapter 25. Again, with our pew packers tonight, this morning, many of these classes, they looked at Matthew 24. When is the temple going to be destroyed and when are you going to come back? Jesus says, I'll give you all of these signs to look for when the destruction of Jerusalem is coming, but I'm not giving you any signs for when I'm coming back. Be prepared. Five virgins were prepared and five were unprepared. Where are you tonight? It's a lesson to learn from the smallest of creatures who is said to be exceedingly wise. I want to be wise. I want to learn the lesson. God says, be prepared. This is the time to be prepared. Preparation must be taken now to meet God. Here's animal number two. Going back to Proverbs chapter 30. This one is interesting. And again, you're going to find in your translations perhaps different words that are used uh, some of these, it was just difficult for translators to know exactly which animal maybe was in mind. But uh, New King James uh, uses the word rock badgers, or the name rock badgers. King James, I believe, uses the name coney. And other translations, English translations, you might find the word shephanim. Uh, Again, uh, what we're looking at, it seems, is the same animal mentioned over in Leviticus chapter 5 and verse 11. The Bible tells us there that this little animal was an unclean animal to the Jews. And yet, the writer of Proverbs is going to use it to say, that's an exceedingly wise animal. seems to be that in the research I could do that, that this animal wasn't a very big animal. It was a very furry animal, and it lived in the rocks. It made its home in the rocks. Now, obviously there are differences. Obviously, I get it. But in my mind, I think about a little groundhog. We had a little groundhog field not far from our house where we live out here. And not being from West Texas, I'd never been around groundhogs before in my life. And I remember when Mike and Cherie picked us up from the airport, the very first time we ever came to Midland, they drove us by the groundhog field. And the boys were just fascinated looking at all of these groundhogs out there looking around. And uh, Mr. Mike was explaining to the boys how the groundhogs would do it, that that there would always be a, a bunch of them together and that some of them would be standing up and, and looking around and others would be down eating. And if ever there was any danger around, some noise would be made and they would all jump for their hole in the ground. 
kind of seems that this rock badger uh, had a similar setup. Always kind of a bunch of them around. The difference is they're not jumping into the dirt. They're jumping into the rocks. There's a big difference there, isn't there? If you get a predator big enough, it'll be able to dig and get down into the dirt. But a predator big enough cannot dig and get down into the rock. And so these rock badgers, that's where they would make their home. And so the word that I want you to associate with them is security. If in the ant we see preparation, in the rock badger we see security. I want to get into the rock. I'm going to make my home in the rock. And that is where they would find themselves. You know, that's exactly where I want to find myself, right? I want you to think about that with me because that's where I find my security. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus teaches that parable right at the end of of the Sermon on the Mount. Our young people sing about it and they put their hands together and the rains come down and the floods come up and the house on the rock stood firm. And the house on the sand went splat. Right? Jesus teaches us something about the rock. He teaches us the necessity of building our homes on the rock And in that, he says, those who are wise, who build on the rock, are those who hear these sayings of mine and do them. I want to build my house on the rock. Turn with me to the end of the New Testament. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And Paul here uses the Old Testament as an example to teach us the security that we find ultimately in Jesus. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide Myself in thee. 1 Corinthians 10, beginning in verse 1. Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. You see, there's a very real sense in which Jesus was with the children of Israel. A very real sense in which He was providing them with the necessities they needed in the dry land. A very real sense in which He was watching over and caring for them. Today, I don't need to wonder about what Jesus has done for me. Today, I know that Jesus provides everything that I need. I know that Jesus gives me everything that I cannot give myself. I know that I have no way of saving myself, but in Him I find forgiveness of sin. In Him I find my security. Listen, I want to look at the rock badger and I want to immediately think, I want to be exceedingly wise. Where do exceedingly wise people find themselves? In Christ. That's where they find themselves. That's where security is found. So I ask you tonight, is that where you are? Are you finding your security in the rock that is Jesus Christ? That's where we need to find ourselves, friend. I want you to look at that rock badger. People will look at that and think, well, there's nothing significant about that little rock badger. That's a seemingly insignificant little creature that God made, and what's the use of it? It can be useful to teach me a great lesson. I want to find my security in Jesus. Here's number three. You find it back in uh, Proverbs chapter 30 and verse number 27. I love this one. The locusts. The writer says, The locusts have no king, and yet all advance in ranks. That's a really neat thing for me to think about. 
They have really no leader. And yet they all have a job and they all do it perfectly. They all do it in order and there seems to be no disorder. The word I want you to associate here is unity. Unity. That's what we find in the little locust. Now, when you think of locust, I don't know what comes to your mind. I don't know what you're thinking about tonight when you think of locust. But let me uh, help you appreciate something about what the Bible has to say about the locust. God would also use the locust to teach a great lesson to His people. In fact, if you go over to the little book of Joel, another minor prophet tonight, and look at the book of Joel. And again, God is sending these prophets to wake His people up, to tell them of the judgment and destruction that awaits them should they fail to return to Him and obey Him. Joel has a lot to say. Much of the letter, actually, is about locusts. I think this is fascinating. God's people understood it then. I need to understand it now. In the book of Joel, it really goes back to chapter 1 and verse number 4. And it's all about destruction, all right? The destruction of these locusts. And in Joel 1 and verse 4, the Bible says, What the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. And what the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. What does that leave? <laughs> that is a picture, my friend, of utter and complete destruction. All right? You've got four different kinds of locusts that are mentioned in that verse. And what the one left, the other didn't. I mean, by the end of it, it was all gone. And that's what he's talking about. But notice how Joel describes these locusts. All right? Now remember, in Proverbs 30, we've got locusts with no king, all marching in ranks. Got the picture? Unity. Joel chapter 2, looking at verse number 7. Now, let's back up to verse 6. Before them, the people writhe in pain. All faces are drained of color. Speaking of locusts, they run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation and they do not break ranks. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. Though they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut down. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter at the windows like a thief. That sounds like nothing I want to be a part of. That sounds like nothing that I want to see in my lifetime. These locusts would come in and these fields would be full and ripe and everything was perfect and good. And these locusts would come in and they would utterly destroy everything in their wake. And they did it together. There wasn't a, a random locust, you know, that would enter a field and try to take it on by himself. It was all of them in a swarm coming in together. That's the picture that Joel gives us of these locusts. And those are the locusts that the writer of Proverbs is talking about in our context tonight. These are locusts that don't break ranks. They've got a job to do and they are one-track minded and that's exactly what they're going to be about. Now, wouldn't it be great if you had a congregation of the Lord's people with one mindset? This is what we're going to do. This is what we're about. This is what we're going to do. We're not going to fight each other. We're going to get along. We're going to love each other. And we're going to go and fight the enemy together. 
unity. Now that is a picture of destruction with the locusts. I have an adversary who is all about the destruction of my soul. That is his mission. That is all that he cares about. That is all that he desires is the destruction of my soul. And I need your help to fight him off. We need to be unified in this effort. We need to be unified because we fight a common enemy. But we have a great God who stands on our side in which we find unity. Brethren, it is sad to see congregations of the Lord's people, the Lord's people, fighting, bickering, talking down about, talking behind backs of. It ought not to be. We need to be unified because we fight a common enemy with a great God who's standing by our sides. When I think of that locust, I want to think of unity. I want to be uh, thinking about 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1 and thinking about me being a fellow worker of Jesus Christ, that we are all fellow workers together, and I want to be unified in His fighting, fighting with Him with my brethren. We've got the ant. Preparation. The rock badger, remember? Security. The locust, the little old locust. Oh, he seems so harmless. What could he do? Very much unity. And here's the final one tonight. In Proverbs chapter 30, we read about this one in verse number 28. If you have King James, New King James, you have the word spider. If you have other translations, you have the word lizard. I think that probably is much more accurate given the context and what is said about this little thing. Doing a little more research, it looks like it's maybe something like a gecko. You know something about a gecko. Uh, I would say if I were to take a poll tonight of those in the audience that there would be a number of hands that would go up. Have you ever had a gecko in your home? Yep, uh, several hands go up. West Texas, perfect for little geckos in your homes. In Missouri, Never, never, ever had a gecko in my home, ever. Didn't know that would happen, all right? We didn't have them there. Go down to Mexico, perfect, they're everywhere. Got them everywhere, and everything's open, you know? So it's very easy to get these in your home. The writer of Proverbs says, these little things, you can grab them in your hand. I don't want to hold a spider in my hand, but I might take a little gecko and hold him in my hand. He says, yet these little things that you can hold in your hand are in king's palaces. This little thing that you can hold in your hand is in a king's palace. The word I want you to associate with it is aspiration. To aspire. To longingly look toward. Aspiration. And I want you to think about the fact that this little lizard finds itself in king's homes. All of these animals that we're looking at tonight, all of these four little creatures, the Bible says they are all exceedingly wise and yet so seemingly insignificant. There's nothing to them. that When you look at them, you would say there's nothing special about them. And when I look in the mirror... I see the same. 
in the grand scheme of things, listen to what I'm about to say. In the grand scheme of things, who am I? A speck on a speck in the middle of a great universe. At the end of the day, that's who I am. And yet, knowing that, I don't want you to leave here thinking, okay, well, I'm nothing. I don't want you to leave here thinking that because I'm about to tell you your significance tonight. Those little animals, the Bible says, they have significance. They are exceedingly wise. They teach us great and valuable lessons that we need to know. I'm talking in this last uh, statement here about the need to aspire, aspiration, going on to bigger and greater things. Here is Adam, a speck on a speck. And the Bible says, turn over there with me please to John chapter 10. And I marvel every single time I think about it, don't you? In John chapter 10, when I think about what Jesus says, here Proverbs chapter 30 says, you can take this little thing and you can grasp it in your hand. It is small. There's not much to it. It's not going to hurt you. You pick it up and yet it's in king's houses. And the Bible says in John chapter 10, in red letters, Jesus' words, in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Listen, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. My hand is His hand. His hand is my hand. I grant them eternal life. You are in His hand. You say, I don't know. I mean, I'm just so little. I mean, there's a speck on a speck. Does God really care? And the answer is yes. Yes, He knows you. And you know Him. And those who are His, He says, are in my hand. You might think yourself small and seemingly insignificant. But Jesus says, I know you. And you're in my hand. And he says in John chapter 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And he calls that place what? His Father's house. The house of the King. He says, you aspire to live in the house of the King. I can hold you in my hand and you can live in the King's house. Aspire. Aspire to live in that house. Oh, they're just little, little animals, little insignificant animals. There's nothing to them. No lessons to be learned here. The Bible says, shame on you. Shame on you for not seeing me when you see them. Romans chapter 1 says, we're without excuse when we look around and fail to see God. Well, I want my eyes to be open and I want to know there are lessons to be learned from all of them.
Tonight, I want you to think about that with me. I want you to know that we can aspire to live in the Father's house if we will humble ourselves and serve. Humble ourselves and serve, and we can live in the Father's house. Tonight, I just want you to ask, do you have foresight? Physically speaking, but most importantly, spiritually speaking, are you looking ahead? Are you looking at life beyond this one and making preparation? Are you prepared now to meet the Lord? Are you prepared as you sit here tonight? If the answer is no, I have great news for you. You can be prepared before you leave here tonight. Because of what Jesus has done for you, you can be found in Him. Tonight, what is your security? We lock our homes. We lock our cars. We lock our safes. We lock everything that we can lock because... We want to be and feel secure. In the end, my friend, your house is going to burn up. So is your car. So is your safe. It's all going away, but your soul is going to live forever. You find it in Christ tonight? You have that security? If you don't, then I have great news. You can change it before you leave here tonight. Tonight, as a Christian, I ask, how are you living in unity? How are you dealing with your brethren? I want to work with the Lord, and I want to work with my brethren better. And tonight, if, if you're not, then you need to repent of such. The opportunity for you to respond is also available tonight. Tonight, my friend, aspire to live in the Father's house. Let's go, let's go to heaven. Let's go home and be with Him. Tonight, if you're not a Christian, then let's make it right.